Father, we do thank you for a chance to come together on this very special occasion when we think about the birth of our Savior. Um, Lord, and though it happened um, some 2,000 years ago, we uh, know its importance um, that on that night there was a glorious statement, a glorious message sent. And Lord, I pray that as we hear your word this evening and as we think about it, would you help us to not take it for granted, help us to not tune out as we've heard this story dozens if not hundreds of times. And Father, I pray that it would be impactful in our hearts and our minds this evening. It's in Christ's name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to our uh, Christmas Eve service here at Flint Hills Bible Church. Um, It's my uh, privilege to bring the message tonight. And um, for our text, if you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be reading the same verses um, that were read by the children this this evening. Um, We're going to be in verses 8 through 20. And the new title is, for those note takers out there, The Glorious Message of Christmas. All right, so the glorious message of Christmas. And I wanted to focus on this text, this common, well-known text, because the, the main message of Christmas is misunderstood or um, ignored uh, by our culture. If you just think about the cultural celebration of Christmas, what do you see? When you watch the commercials and you see things going up around town, they're filled with um, consumer-minded advertisements. Buy this product. Do this. Get this experience. You think about all the traditions built around, you know, the mischievous elves that sneak around, and the uh, elderly gentleman who rides in a magical vehicle delivering presents. All of that stuff misses the point, right? We are celebrating something much more important, much greater. The message that God sent through the angels on Christmas night was tremendous. And my prayer is, again, that as we read this account and as we think about it, that we would not take it for granted. Don't tune out here. I know you've heard it a, a thousand times, maybe. But we're going to make a few observations And so let's read it real quick. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day, In the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So tonight, as we work through this text, I have uh, organized this message into three points. And the first point is a fearful sight. The second point is an offer of peace. And the third point is a proper response. I'll I'll say those again. A fearful sight, an offer of peace, and a proper response. And the first point is a fearful sight. But to set up the context tonight, we have shepherds in Bethlehem, right? We've um, and now, because this is so familiar to us, it's very easy to kind of glaze over that and not recognize kind of the important points here. First of all, we're talking about Bethlehem. Now, we love Bethlehem. We know all kinds of fun things about Bethlehem, but at the time, Bethlehem was nothing special. It wasn't exactly your vacation destination. And a lot of powerful, wealthy people with a lot of influence lived there. It was a small village. Its claim to fame was that hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, David was born there. And for some who realized it, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament, in Micah, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. But other than that, there's not a whole lot going on with Bethlehem. So it's interesting that God chose to send the Savior to Bethlehem. The second part that is interesting, is that we're talking about shepherds. Now, we love shepherds, right? Shepherds are great. We love, how many of you have memorized Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want it, right? So we, we love shepherds. Jesus, later in his life, says that he is the good shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. We, he tells a parable of the shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one lost sheep. There's, there's great things about shepherds, and we look at shepherds fondly today, but that was not the case at Jesus' time. Right? Shepherds were seen as these uneducated, kind of unimportant, kind of backwoods workers who just kind of did the dirty work that nobody else wanted to do, but that we had to do because we have a sacrificial system and God says we have to do that. In fact... Shepherds, their testimony was not even admissible in the court. They were seen as so unreliable and unbelievable that they would not even be called on as witnesses. So we have a divine message coming to a town that nobody wants to go to, being delivered to a group of people who nobody wants to listen to. And that's where we find ourselves. That's the context of this message. So let's read, and our first point, again, it's a fearful sight. Let's read verses 8 to 12, if you follow along with me. And in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Now, notice the response of those shepherds. When the angel appears to them, what do they do? They were filled with a warm, fuzzy feeling and great happiness, right? They were super happy and excited. No, they were filled with great fear. And that's a fairly standard response to angels or glimpses of um, the pre-incarnate Christ, for example. And you might ask, well, what? why is that the case? Well, maybe it's because these shepherds were uneducated and maybe they're just kind of not the greatest role models and you just don't, no, they're just shepherds, what do you expect? But that's actually not the reason. You know, there's a, a prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, and he saw a vision of Christ and listen to his response. After he sees Jesus, he says in Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, Isaiah was a prophet. He worked really hard to keep the law of God. He would have been admired by the people, by many in Israel. And he, when he sees a vision of Christ, he feels like he's going to die. And why is that? No matter who it is, whether they're shepherds or Isaiah or the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, we see another example. When they see the glorious vision of God or of an angel, they want to fall over dead. Because when we see a glimpse of the majesty of God, the glory of God, the purity and holiness of God, we really see how far short we fall of that standard. All of our guilt seems to be out in the open. And it would be understandable, it would be just of God to execute us right there. That's the problem. We are sinful. The shepherds are sinful. They see this vision of this angel and they want to fall over dead. They're filled with great fear. We think we're going to reap what we've sown getting the wages that I've earned for my sins and my rebellion. But the glorious thing about the Christmas message is that is not what God says. He doesn't come and send the angel and say, hey, go tell those shepherds, you're about to get what's coming to you. He says, tell them, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So what is the good news? In verse 10, the second half of verse 10, we read, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the good news is that a Savior is here. Now, the implication of you needing a Savior is that you're in danger, right? If I need a savior, that means I'm in trouble. 
I need saving. And that's one, something that Tanner did a good job of preaching about this morning. Jesus came as a savior to save us from the trouble that we were in. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that's a verse that many have memorized, says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And a few pages later in Romans six twenty-three, we read that the wages of sin is death. What I deserve, what God owes me for my rebellion is death. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we see the holy God owes me death for my rebellion. So if all of those scriptures are true, and they are, we are in desperate need of some good news. We are in desperate need of this Savior. And that's exactly what the shepherds hear In verses 13 and 14, look at the offer of peace. Starting in verse 13, we read, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now I hope you don't, again, glance over that statement, because the wonder of that statement is hard to communicate. The first part of it is, is glory to God in the highest. And the word glory is from a Greek word translated that was doxa in the Greek. Right? And it means, it meant the weightiness of something. So when something had glory, it was weighty, it was heavy, it was significant, it had substance, value. We talked about the glory of the king, it's the majesty of the king. And that's something, um, one way to illustrate that would be if you, you know, like camping and that sort of thing, it's not my, my cup of tea, but I have some friends who like to go camping, and, and imagine you're camping out in the wilderness of Alaska, and you're in your tent, you're laid down, everything's packed up, and you hear something rustling outside the tent, and it's like, hmm, kind of sounds like a grizzly bear. And it's, you know, sniffing around, snorting about things, and it doesn't seem very happy, kind of seems like it's hungry, breaking stuff, sniffing stuff, and you get up the courage, and you kind of peek your head out of the tent, and sure enough, there's the biggest grizzly in all of creation, right outside your tent. Now, I'll tell you what you're not going to do. You're not going to just grab your phone and go try to take a selfie with the bear, are you? Right? Well, you shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. Maybe somebody would. Don't do it, kids. Don't take selfies with grizzlies. Okay, now, most people would not go and try to take a selfie with the grizzly. The other thing you're not going to do is you're not going to just zip up and go back to bed. There's a seriousness to that bear that will grab your attention. Okay, these, that grizzly bear that has a certain kind of glory, there's a certain kind of power to that bear. And what you do is going to be focused on, your attention is focused on that bear. Now, the problem is this idea of glory and weightiness is probably, well, I'm not sure, but 
I would consider it one of the things that's most lacking in our cultural celebrations of Christmas. We think about glory of God, the weightiness of God, the worthiness of God. That's missing. When we see the TV shows and the commercials, we see the advertisements, we see how the conversations go around us, that is missing. In the endless ocean of entertainment, things like social media and TV, sports, all of our hobbies, all of those things, they can crowd out, they can take our attention, and we can find ourselves giving more glory to stuff, giving more glory to people. And we're missing the mark. Now again, some of those things, it's not wrong to, for some created thing to have glory. Jesus talked about Solomon having glory, right? In all of Solomon, the King Solomon's riches and power, Jesus said in all of his glory, he was not arrayed like the grass of the field because of the lilies. But there is no person and there is no thing, no activity, no great goal that you could have that should take more of your attention, affection, efforts, your love than the God of the universe. We owe God all of our attention and affection. We are to do all that we do for his glory. An example of someone who gets it would be Moses. After the Israelites see the ten plagues over Egypt where God demonstrates his power over the gods of Egypt and then they they leave and they cross the Red Sea on dry ground and then God causes the water to crash over the Egyptians destroying their army. And this is what Moses writes in Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Moses got it. God is the most glorious being inside or outside of the universe. He is glorious. And that's what the angels are saying. Glory to God in the highest. They were giving God the attention and the praise that he deserves. And the second part of this announcement is almost more surprising than the first part. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angels, they were sent by God to announce the true message of Christmas the true meaning behind the Savior coming to the earth, and that is to make peace. So why is that surprising? Well, if we are thinking about the famous battles of history, who is typically the side that goes and asks for peace? 
It's the losing side, right? If you don't think you can win, you're going to go ask if there are terms of peace where you can surrender and not be killed. But in this case, God is the one who makes the declaration of peace and is to his enemies. He does so by sending a savior to be born in a manger in Bethlehem to a poor couple who nobody recognizes. But we do need to make one little observation. This is not a a universal offer of peace. He doesn't say, you know, peace to all and to all a good night. He, He doesn't say that, does he? The angel says, peace to those with whom he is pleased. So the question is, how do we come, become a part of that group? That's going to be an important thing to decide, right? I want to be in that group that gets peace with God. And we have a couple of hints by looking at how the shepherds respond. Look at verses 15 through 20. And this is our third point, the proper response to the message. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured them up, treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The proper response is obedience. The angel comes and tells them the great news and then tells them, hey, this is the sign. You're going to find a baby when you leave here in a minute and you obey and you're going to go over there and you're going to see the Savior. And They didn't have to take some time and and really figure out, is it worth it? I mean, would it be worth our time to walk over there to Bethlehem? I mean, they don't really like us anyway. And what about all these sheep? What if the the wolves come and stuff? Maybe we can go next week. He'll still be a baby, right? No, they, they immediately went. They went with haste, it says. So one kind of self-examination. How is my obedience to the word of God? Do I do what the word says? Secondly, we see that they told everyone about the good news. They told everybody that a savior was born. Anybody who would listen. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They weren't shy about it. They went and communicated the glorious message of Christmas to the whole village. So as we kind of wrap up our time here this this evening, I hope you're thinking about whether or not you're in that group with, with Mary and the shepherds, the humble, obedient saints who believed the message that God had told them There's a little bit more. See, this was like the seed form of the gospel. 
in one succinct announcement that the angels make to shepherds, we see the elements there. But later in Scripture, they're fully explained. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. And we're in, in verse 21 through 24, we see how one can be saved. Here's what it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, that Paul goes on to explain that this Savior that was born in Bethlehem to a poor couple in an obscure, vill- obscure village visited by shepherds, he was born to live a life that you and I should live, that we are obligated to live by the one who made us. But it's a life that we did not live, that we do not live now. The Savior came, was born, lived that perfect life. He never sinned. Not a, not a sinful thought, a complaining word, no act of sin. He glorified God in all that he did and said and thought. And then he died for us. He laid down his life to satisfy God's wrath that is on you and I. And like Mary and the shepherds, we can enjoy peace with God by trusting in his word. We place our faith and our hope and our trust in the promise that God has made that by faith we can be saved. By faith we can be justified, counted righteous. And therefore have peace with God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this Christmas season. Once again, a glorious, wonderful message that was given, delivered by the angels to these shepherds. Lord, if there are souls in this room who who do not know you in the saving way, if they haven't trusted you alone, maybe they've not really considered it before, maybe they haven't really known why they needed a Savior, I pray that you would convict their hearts of the truth of your word, of their need for a savior, their need to trust in someone outside of themselves. Lord, we have nothing spiritually to offer to you, nothing that we can earn. We can only cast ourselves in the mercy of God and trust in your promise that you will turn no one away that you will save those who call upon the name of Christ, our Savior. Thank you for the beauty of Christmas and the message that we see and enjoy here in your word. 
It's for Christ's glory that we pray. Amen.